Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. So actually, our total for the socks, because I, I recorded that on Thursday morning, just to be able to get it to um, Farrell to edit. So our total was actually 470. So we were a lot closer than 330. So I was able to go into town yesterday and drop those off. So thank you for partnering with us in a really practical way to show the love of Jesus to those in our community. So when you go to a restaurant, do you always order the same thing? I do. I'm a creature of habit. Ask my husband, it actually drives him nuts that when I go to Original Joe's, I get the lettuce wrap. When I go to Mr. Mike's, I get the sirloin steak bites and half a Cascadia salad. When I go to Brown's, I get their cowboy salad. Even if something looks amazing on the specials, and someone else has told me it's also amazing, I will still stick with the familiar meal because I know what I'm getting. And actually, this, this isn't just me alone. This ties into a larger human trait of familiar is comfortable and safe. Our brains think that if something seems familiar, that it's more likely to be safer than things we don't know. So my meals that I'm familiar with are gonna be my go-to option, even if there's a better possibility out there. And so, I mean, this is kind of a silly, low-impact example, but we actually do this in bigger, more high-impact places. We maybe stay at a job that's not that great, we don't really like it, but it's safer and more comfortable than risking a job that we actually don't know about. Or, in times of pressure and stress, we revert back to our old habits, our old ways of coping mechanisms that's familiar and comfortable because it feels safer to us. It feels like a better option because at least we know how it kind of goes. They're kind of like ruts in the road, right? Once you're in those ruts, it's really hard to get out of them. But man, to get back into them, all you have to do is is catch the edge and you're back in. The Israelites, we see, also kind of had this thing of the familiar is comfortable and safer. When the Israelites were leaving Egypt after Pharaoh said, hey, get out, we don't want you here anymore, that they were going to their freedom, what God had promised them, they were faced with the unknown and they just didn't know. And when things got a little dicey, they decided they wanted to stick with the familiar, the comfortable. I mean, albeit terrible, they were like, man, we should go back to Egypt. At least we knew we had food. We were slaves, we were being killed, but at least we had cucumbers. (laughs) But we do this. We do this. We think, well, at least if I go back there, it's comfortable, it's familiar, and it's safe, and I don't know if what's to come is worth it. Well, the believers, 
that the author of Hebrews is writing to also seem to be, have been falling into this way of thinking. It seems that the believers, having chosen to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, in the face of the unknown, in the face of pressure, were now thinking maybe the old way of doing things was better. The temple, the sacrifices required, following the law, the high priests, that this was a better option, simply because it was the familiar option. And so Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, is a dense book. Somehow I ended up with Romans, now I have Hebrews, somehow I ended up with these really hefty books. But in Hebrews, there's over 47 direct references to the Old Testament scriptures, and many more indirect, and references to Jewish tradition, that sometimes we can get lost in it. I don't know if any of you spent, were able to spend this week going through Hebrews, but we can get lost and wonder what's this all, talking about high priest of Melchizedek, talking about angels, like what? But why? Like I said, the author of Hebrews was writing to Jewish Christians who are having second thoughts about deciding to leave the law and follow Jesus as the Messiah. So this letter, the book of Hebrews, is all about showing how Jesus is superior and how his new covenant is a better way than the old covenant and law. And you might notice that I keep saying the author of Hebrews instead of saying, you know, Paul or or anything like that. It's because there's a lot of debate about who wrote Hebrews. It, It could have been Paul, could have been Apollo. Some scholars even think Priscilla, a woman, wrote the book. We just don't know. And so that's the reason why I just keep saying the author of Hebrews. So this book, whoever it was written by, is a book of exaltation of Jesus and a book of exhortation for us. Hebrews declares the superiority, the the ultimate authority of Jesus in every way and then urges us to fix our eyes on Jesus as we press onward instead of turning back to the familiar, to the comfortable. And it starts right away, right at the beginning. Hebrews 1.3 starts out with a big picture of the exaltation of Jesus. It says, The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and he sustains everything with his mighty power, with the mighty power of his command. So the author then starts to go through kind of all the exalted, significant ones in Judaism and shows how Jesus is superior. He talks about how Jesus is superior to Moses. And Moses is the one who received the law and brought the Israelites to freedom from Egyptian slavery. Moses is a big deal. And yet this author says... Man, compared to Jesus, Moses is is just a servant. Hebrews 3, 5 to 6 says this. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration of the truths God would would reveal later. But Christ, as the Son, is in charge of God's entire house. 
The author of Hebrew also uh, talks about the Old Testament priests uh, and the high priests who offered sacrifices for the atonement of sin. And this was a, a continual thing. They continually had to offer animal sacrifices. But the author of Hebrews says, oh no, but wait, Jesus, Jesus is a better way. It says this in Hebrews 8, 6, but now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry far superior to the old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. So the author has said, man, Jesus is superior to Moses, He's superior to the priests. And he also talks about how he's superior to angels. And the reason is, is because angels were, a, were an important part in Jewish tradition because of their role in the giving of the law. And so the author of Hebrews makes it really, really clear. Jesus is not on the same par as angels. He's far above. Again, we see in Hebrews 1, when he, Jesus, had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is far greater than his name. And so we see Moses received the law, but Jesus fulfilled the law. The high priests offered sacrifices, but Jesus was the once and for all sacrifices for all mankind. The angels ministered and gave, gave the law and word of God as servants. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. The author of Hebrew wants to make it very clear to these Jewish believers that, man, what they have picked, that they have picked Jesus, and what they were journeying towards is so much better than the old familiar system. And today, I want to make it really clear to you all that Jesus and learning to follow him and what it looks like to walk in his ways is so much better than your old comfortable ways of living. Colossians 2:15 talks about the supremacy of Jesus and says, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, those supernatural forces of evil operating against us, he made a public example of them, exhibiting them as captives in his triumphal process, having triumphed over them through the cross. Through his death on the cross and resurrection, Jesus has been made supreme. He is the ultimate authority. In Ephesians 1, 2, it says he is far above any ruler, any authority, any power or leader, or anything else. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. Oh man, that much power and authority is Jesus's. And that, right, when, we, when I start to think about that, it's easy to maybe start viewing him as kind of the untouchable, unknowable, non-approachable God. He has that much power. Oof, that's dangerous stuff. But 
the goodness of Jesus is that he brings himself to us. He's approachable and knows our struggles. He's not some high up there, out of touch with our struggles. Perfection, although he is perfect, demanding perfection from us and then accusing us when we fall short. No, it says in Hebrews, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same testing we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. What an amazing combination. Ultimate authority and supremacy combined with grace, love, and mercy. Where in the areas of your life have you doubted his ultimate authority? Or, I'll put it to you a different way. Where have your old familiar ways of living and coping seem to be the best, best option right now? I mean, it won't look the same for the Jewish believers because we, we don't have the Old Testament law or sacrifices or high priests, but it could look like, man, what I did, I, I, can, I can never be forgiven for that. Or, the situation is hopeless. It's just the way it is. It will never change. Or, the world is so dark and it's getting darker all the time. I can't see Jesus anywhere. Jesus isn't doing anything, so it's all up to me. Or, this isn't going how I thought it would be. So I'm giving up on Jesus, and I'll just do it myself. And so Jesus, right now, I just say, come in your power and might right now, that we would taste and see that you are good, that we would experience your power and your mercy and grace. So, in light of the superiority of Jesus— to the Old Testament, Moses, angels, Jewish traditions, the author of Hebrews then gives some exhortations to the Jewish believers that we can also take for exhortations for ourselves. So often, when you're looking at commentaries, the things I'm going to talk about are called the warnings of Hebrews. And I mean, warnings and exhortations do have a similar definition of cautionary advice. But when I hear warnings, I kind of picture like the finger waving of like, don't go there. But man, when I hear exhortation, I see like a calling higher, uh, uh, a challenge in the encouragement of like, yes, we can do this. We're in this together. Let's not go back to the comfortable and familiar, but press on. And so the author of Hebrews is kind of saying, hey, I've proved to you that you have picked the better way, that this new covenant is better than the old. So then, if you're not turning back, what does it look like to press onward? So the first exhortation we see is to not neglect the truth. It says in Hebrews 2, so we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. 
And so I think, I know I have said this to my children, and I think I've heard it from my parents. Hearing is not the same as listening. You may have heard me, but you weren't listening to me. Right? I think by the, I think we maybe have all experienced that, either on the giving of it or receiving it. Right? Hearing is like just collecting data. Where listening is hearing with thoughtful attention and consideration. And so this, the author of Hebrews, when it says we must listen carefully, very carefully to the truth, is exhorting us to continually give attention, thought, and consideration to the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done. Simply having our faith in the background, a given and assumed, not really thinking about what we believe, how it interacts with our living out, we're, we're merely hearing but not listening. It's kind of like uh, a boat that's tied up at a dock, or even like if you have a little floaty on, a, on the shore. What happens if it's not tied down or pulled high enough up is it just kind of drifts away. You know, it's not purposely rowing away. It's not purposely going further and further down but it just kind of drifts away. And then all of a sudden you look and your floaty is so far down or your boat has kind of meandered off and it's way farther than you thought it would be. This can happen to us. When we stop holding on to Jesus, when we stop listening and giving careful consideration to the truth, we can just kind of all of a sudden find ourselves way over here in a place we never intended to. And so where is Jesus inviting you to listen? To think with careful consideration and attention rather than just simply hearing and collecting data. The second exhortation is to not harden our hearts. We see this kind of in a chunk of Hebrews 3, 4 to 4, 13. It says, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. What does that mean? Harden your hearts? Well, this whole passage, it, the author tells us what actions the Israelites in the Old Testament did that led to hard hearts. And they're sobering things. They rebelled. They tested God. They were deceived by sin. Refused to do what God had said. And disobeyed. And I think we can say for ourselves that when we do those things too, we lose our capacity to be able to listen to what Jesus is saying. And why do we rebel, sin, refuse to listen, disobey? Could it be that we doubt the goodness of Jesus and the supremacy of Jesus? So what's a better way? How do we not harden our hearts? Well, it's it's not our job to try harder, to make sure we keep those hearts soft, but we get an invitation to try differently. And it looks like surrender to Jesus. Ezekiel talks about this in 36, 26, when he's talking about the restoration of Israel. 
It says, and I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. How do we keep a soft heart? It looks like turning to Jesus and saying, teach me how to walk in a new way. And this can happen daily. It, it looks like, oh man, Jesus, I felt your nudge to ask that person to pray. Ask, ask if I could pray for this person. I didn't want to look foolish and I was afraid, so I said no. Okay, I'm sorry, Jesus. Teach me, teach me how to walk in a new way. That's what it is. It's not about buckling down and trying harder and, and trying to sort it all out yourself, but it is a posture of saying, Jesus, man, I didn't do that well, or I heard you asking me to do something, and I said no, or I, ended, I drifted away, and I ended up somewhere that I didn't, I don't know how I got here, and it's saying, Jesus, teach me to walk in a new way. Keep my heart tender. And so, will you surrender to Jesus for him to keep your heart tender? The third ex exhortation, yeah, exhortation, is to not be satisfied with spiritual dullness. So this is a point that the author kind of seems to get a little exasperated. Like, guys, come on! Says Hebrews 5, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you the basics again about God's word. And so this exhortation is for spiritual growth and maturity. The author continues talking about it and says, you are like babies yeesh, who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Babies don't really do anything. They cry and then milk is given to them. And their stomachs, especially newborns, can only handle like tiny amounts at a time. And therefore, are only sustained for a short time until they're crying out, demanding more. Solid food, good food, takes work. Man, to prepare it, to eat it, for your body to digest it. You can take in larger amounts and are sustained for longer. And what the author of Hebrews is saying in this, obviously he's not just talking about literal food and milk and babies, but saying don't simply be content with consuming what other people give you. Do the hard work of engaging with your faith, with rumbling with the hard parts, actively doing things to partner with Jesus. And here's the thing. A mindset of consumerism 
and spiritual maturity are mutually exclusive. If you're dealing in one, you can't have the other. And this is what the author is saying of Hebrews, and this is what the word for us today is, is we cannot just sit and demand more for us to be sated. There's an opportunity for us to partner with Jesus, to get our hands and feet dirty as we work towards building the kingdom. And so, be brutally honest with yourself. Is there areas of your life when you've really only been wanting milk? You want to be easily satisfied in things handed to you without doing the hard work. And so all of these things, all of these exhortations, the drifting from holding on to the truth of Jesus, then, then doubting and our hearts being hardened as a result, turns into spiritual dullness, where we have no desire to engage or, or, or teach others, but instead we're content with surface spirituality, while still holding on to our familiar, comfortable old ways of doing life. Oh, but being centered and rooted and encountering Jesus and who he is in his grace and his mercy and his love and his ultimate authority is the starting point of pressing forward and not being drawn back to the familiar. So I want to end this sermon not looking, not looking back longingly for the familiar, but together as a church, praying this prayer, it should be up on the screen shortly, of pressing in. Yeah. So this prayer is our Christian Missionary Alliance of Canada. This is the vision prayer that our denomination is committed to and to pray. And this is all about pressing in, to being Jesus-centered, to not being pulled back to the familiar, but saying, God, with all our hearts, we long for you. Come, transform us. And so if you are, I'm going to pray this out. I would love if you would like to join me also in praying this out this loud. Praying, yep, praying this out loud with me. There we go. And then we're going to have a song, and then I'll come back up, and we'll, we'll do communion together. So, oh God, with all our hearts, we long for you. Come, transform us to be Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, mission-focused people, multiplying disciples everywhere. Amen. And so our closing benediction for today is from Hebrews 13. 20 to 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may God equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you, through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. You are dismissed. Mm -hmm.
Thank you for joining us. If you have questions or comments or are just wanting to know more about our church, check out our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com as well as you can find us on Facebook or feel free to email us at office at beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray that today you would know the love and manifest presence.